we look at that passage together. We pray that you would bless us and encourage us. Lord, as we consider those events in your life, we will be blessed by them. Amen. Simeon and Anna, although uh, it's really sort of time for Epiphany, and traditionally we look at the wise men, the Magi, uh, what generally tends to happen is at Christmas we concentrate on the events around the birth of Jesus, and then as we move on into the new year, it's Epiphany, we look at the Magi, or perhaps as a new year theme. And Simeon and Anna can easily be overlooked. And there is actually time for them in the church year in February, uh, but often they get overlooked there as well. And Luke wants to tell us about Simeon and Anna in between times. And so today, uh, rather than look at the wise men, the Magi, I want to focus on Simeon and Anna. Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, is about seven miles from Jerusalem, quite close at hand. They didn't have to go to the temple, but only being seven miles away, like from here to Dingwall, uh, Joseph and Mary have another journey to make. And there's two reasons for doing so that uh, Luke mentions at the start of this reading. Um, after 40 days, there was the purification ceremony for Mary, uh, after having given birth, that she was now again ritually clean and free to move about in society. And there was an offering uh, to give for that. And there was also the dedication of the firstborn. Jesus was their first child, and again, the law of Moses required an offering uh, for him. And the fact that it mentions a sacrifice to the Lord with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, gives away to us that Joseph and Mary weren't rich. The offering actually was a lamb, but if you were too poor to be able to afford a lamb, then you had the poor man's choice of a couple of doves or two young pigeons. And that is what Joseph and Mary bring uh, for the dedication of Jesus. So it's clear that uh, they were living in relative poverty. They go to Jerusalem, and the events that we read about take place in the temple in Jerusalem. Of course, there's no problem with Herod here. Herod is around in the palace at this time, but the arrival of the Magi isn't going to happen for some time yet, uh, possibly not for over a year or more, by which time Jesus and Mary and Joseph, whilst they're still staying in Bethlehem, have moved into a house Jesus is described as a young child when the Magi arrive, and when Herod seeks to have him killed, he targets all the children aged two or under, suggesting that Jesus by then was a good bit more than a baby in arms. So at this point, it's safe for Mary and Joseph to go to Jerusalem because Herod simply isn't aware of Jesus at this time. And they come into Jerusalem, they go to the temple to make their offerings, and there they meet Simeon. And Simeon's role is simple. His role is to verify Jesus as the Messiah. The Holy Spirit at some stage in his life has assured him that he won't die before he sees the Lord, before he sees the Messiah, the Christ. And we don't know how long he had to wait for that. Tradition suggests that Simeon is an elderly Levite whose place was in and around the temple constantly waiting and watching in the temple, looking for the arrival of the Messiah. And Simeon is presented as a model of faith and of patience. 
And you can wonder if he was told this when he was relatively young, and now he's quite old, how many years had he patiently waited, looking and looking and looking and wondering, is it going to be today? Is it going to be here? How many disappointments he experienced? And possibly how many doubts he had as the years and years went by? We simply don't know. We're actually not told how old he is or anything about his background other than that he was a godly man and the Holy Spirit reveals to him that he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah. Although the way that Simeon responds when he does see Jesus, Lord, you can now dismiss your servant in peace, I can go now at peace, suggests that he was perhaps older rather than younger, and he lays down this burden joyfully and gladly, feels fulfilled, and he's ready to die in peace. So that does suggest somebody who is older, certainly. There's a little bit uh, of a similarity between Simeon and Samuel, a thousand years earlier, who the Holy Spirit had said, I want you to go and anoint my chosen one to be the next king. Of course, it was David. A separate story, Samuel is told to go and anoint the, uh, the, the next king. He goes to Bethlehem, he goes to Jesse, and says, I need to see all your sons. And Jesse brings out all his sons before him. And Samuel looks at the first one and thinks, oh, he looks like the next king. But the Lord speaks to his heart and says, no, that's not the one I've chosen. And one by one by one, all of Jesse's sons are paraded past Samuel. And of course, it's none of them. And then Samuel, a bit puzzled at the end of that, says, have you got any more? Um, wondering, well, I've seen them all, and it's none of them. There must happen this be. Oh, there's David in the fields. And of course, the story continues that everyone waits for David to come in, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to Samuel and says, that's the one. And Samuel anoints David as the next king. We move forward a thousand years, and it's a descendant of David who is the Messiah, and there is that similar looking and wondering and waiting for that reassurance, this is the one with Simeon. So there's a strong emphasis on that working of the Holy Spirit in this passage. Simeon is described in verse 25 as righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. There's not many people in the Old Testament period who were described as of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes upon relatively few people throughout the Old Testament. And the hope is that after the Messiah comes, the Spirit of God will be poured out on every believer. But we're still, at this point, in the Old Testament period. Simeon is one of the last of the prophets of the Old Testament, along with John the Baptist. He's righteous. Few people are described in that way. But the Holy Spirit is on him, revealing things to him, and in this event, guiding him as well. Some years ago, I looked at Simeon when I was down in England, and I, looking at my notes then, I portrayed Simeon as showing the need to be faithful, that you don't know when the Lord's going to act, you don't know when the Lord's going to move, you need to be patient, you need to be watchful, you need to be ready. And I look back at those notes and the emphasis on what you need to be, the need to be faithful, and the question of what if, what if Simeon had given up after years and become decades, and he grew tired and gave up? And he may well have felt like that at times. 
wondering how much longer he's got to wait. But looking at it again afresh this time, I notice it's not just something that is Simeon's responsibility, but it's the Lord keeping his promises. Because what we actually read is, it had been revealed to him that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ by the Holy Spirit. And now, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Simeon actually wasn't in the temple all the time. And the Lord is going to make absolutely certain that when the right time comes along, Simeon will be there. So it's not just that Simeon had to spend 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, in the temple just in case. The Lord is gracious to him and he's with him. And when the right time comes, he makes sure he gives Simeon that nudge and gets him into the temple to be in the right place at the right time. So I want to revise the thinking there and say that when God promises something, he makes sure that it happens. So, how long did Simeon spend wondering when would it be? And it was only when it happened that he found out. And how much did he wonder what will it be like? To be told by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah, must surely, to Simeon, have raised thoughts about, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be coming in quite forcefully, forcefully, he's going to stand the temple on his head, he's going to right wrongs, he's going to, he's, he's going to sort everything out, because that's what the Messiah is coming to do. So you have to ask, did Simeon expect a baby? Or did he expect the Messiah coming in all strength and in all force? And that's why I had maybe read the other reading, let's read the other reading um, from Malachi, which is one of the Messianic prophecies. Malachi, when he, when he prophesied, the, the whole system in the temple had broken down. And Malachi gives this promise that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to stand everything on its head, he's going to turn everything upside down, and he's going to right every wrongs, and you better watch out and you better be ready, because when he comes, it's going to be pretty forceful. And there was that hope of the Messiah coming, he was going to drive out the Romans, he was going to purify Israel, he was going to make Israel top, na top nation. And there were all these hopes and expectations that the Messiah was going to be the chosen one who was going to put everything right. And it was going to be spectacular. And Simeon, I suspect, when he woke up every morning, thought, is the Messiah going to descend upon the temple and sweep out all the corruption and put everything right? And he has this King David II, this warrior Messiah vision, this sort of expectation, that he isn't going to miss it, and nobody's going to miss it. When it happens, everybody is going to know all about it. And if that is the case, and it very likely is, then it says something about Simeon, that when the Holy Spirit gently draws him into the temple that day, and he has that awareness in his heart of hearts, I need to be in the temple today, but there's nothing happening, there's no action, there's no noise, there's no violence, and then Simeon is gently prompted to see that poor family coming through the gates with a baby, a poor man, a poor woman, and a poor baby. And the Holy Spirit makes it very clear to Simeon, that's him. 
Bless Simeon for being so sensitive to the leadings of the Lord, the promptings of the Spirit. To quickly put aside all his hopes and expectations of the warrior Messiah coming in and nobody's going to miss it. Putting all that to one side and realizing that the Lord is doing things in a very different way. Very different to what he'd expected. And Simeon has that sense of wonder. My goodness, I didn't think it would be like this. I didn't think it would be him. But it is. And there's no sense that Simeon is in the least disappointed that he's going to miss out on all the action. God has made a promise and has kept that promise. And that promise is wrapped up in that small, helpless, relatively newborn baby, now only 40 days old, six weeks old, still a tiny baby. And Simeon now realises this is what it's all about. And this is the part that I have to play. And perhaps for us all there are things that we wonder at, things that we look ahead to. Childbirth. What's it going to be like to have a baby? I have no idea what it's like to give birth, of course, but I can remember when we had Andrew both of us, it all felt so unreal. Right up to the day when Carol went into labour and it all began to happen. And there was a lack of reality about it. Right up to the moment things started. And Andrew Blessing was late. <laughs> so we were waiting and waiting for a few weeks longer. People were beginning to say, oh, he's still here then. <laughs> and then, Sunday dinner time, it began. And suddenly what felt so unreal up to that moment became very real. And we both would say, so that's what it's like. And now it is real. And there's other things that we look forward to, new experiences. And it's only when they happen that we can truly say, ah, so this is what it's like. And perhaps that's what it was like for Simeon as well. And his role isn't just to enjoy the spectacle of the Messiah coming in and righting all the wrongs. Simeon has a very special part to play to verify that this poor baby, this poor anonymous baby, is the Messiah. Simeon isn't just going to have the pleasure of seeing something. He has a part to play in validating Jesus as the Messiah. He has a prophecy to give about what Jesus will do. And as if to reassure Simeon that his prophetic response was the right one, what he does is in turn validated by Anna, another person in the temple, a woman with a humanly ordinary life, who suddenly finds that she too has a very special role. As she comes up and affirms what Simeon has done, of who Jesus is, that confirms to Simeon that he's on the right lines as well. And what's happening here is that God speaks in some wonderful way to confirm each key stage in Jesus' life. And here it's at his dedication to fulfil the law of Moses, and it's Simeon's turn to verify who Jesus is and what he's there to do. 
just as the angels had appeared and the shepherds at Jesus' actual birth, the Magi would come later to acknowledge Jesus as King, the Holy Spirit would descend upon Jesus at his baptism, there would be the transfiguration uh, with Peter and John later on declaring who Jesus is as the Messiah. On this occasion, it's Simeon's turn. So what does Simeon say? Well, we know it as the nunc dimittis, Lord, now dismiss your servant in peace. It confirms the incarnation that even as a baby, this baby Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people. This baby is the salvation of God. It's him. And that is Simeon's simple task in life, to point to this baby and say, yes, that's the one. And Simeon doesn't feel so short like being a baby. He doesn't feel any need to see Jesus grow up to prove it. He now knows that that is his role, to validate Jesus as the Messiah from the very start. He has a part, he's not just going to see it, he has a part to play in it. It's even better. And Simeon is in the line of that long line of prophets who saw God's plan of salvation going beyond the boundaries of Israel. He goes on to say, You've prepared him in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Again, another piece in that jigsaw of what the Messiah is there to do. Not just to save Israel and make them top nation, it's not a nationalistic Messiah, but somebody who's going to come and bring a blessing to the entire world, to the Gentiles as well. Simeon is in the line of the prophets who saw God's plan going beyond Israel's boundaries. But he also has a prophecy for Mary as well. He makes four very clear points to Mary. Simeon blessed them and then said to Mary in verse 34, and he's got four things to say to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. That was a very special message to Mary because if you skip back a chapter to the song that Mary sang when she learned she was going to have Jesus, we know there's the Magnificat. Part of it is saying, he's performed mighty deeds with his arm, he's brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. There is that sense of the falling and the rising of different categories of people. The rich and the strong and the powerful are brought down, the poor and the humble and the meek are lifted up. That was the song that Mary was prompted to sing when she learned she was going to have Jesus. And Simeon, repeats that back to her. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. In other words, Mary, when you said that, you were right. You're right on track with what God is doing here. And I want to confirm you in that. Simeon then goes on to say, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. There's a warning there that just because Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the words mean the same, of course, doesn't mean that there'll be no opposition. It's not going to be a walkover. There is going to be opposition, and it's not going to be easy. So Mary, when you see things seeming to go wrong, and things don't run smooth, don't worry. It doesn't mean that you're not in God's plan, and that Jesus isn't in God's plan. It isn't going to be easy. He will be spoken against. 
Simeon then says, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. People are going to respond to Jesus. He is going to approach them in a way that they can respond naturally. Because he's not coming in by force, and people are on their guard and give the correct response, a bit like when you have an inspection and you know it's coming and you get everything ready and know the right things to say. Jesus is going to come in a way that catches people unawares and gets a natural response from them. Jesus is going to come in weakness so that people don't feel under threat and they give away what they're really like. People will act and respond to Jesus unaffectedly so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And the fact that Jesus doesn't come in in full force puts us in a position where we do respond to him quite naturally, for better or for worse. And then finally there is another word of warning, a chilling one. A sword will pierce your own soul too. It's not going to be easy for Mary either. And there is a sense of foreboding there that anticipates that moment when Jesus is nailed to the cross and he dies and Mary is amongst the women who are at the foot of the cross watching it happen. And how must that have been for her seeing her own son suffer in that way? A sword not to the body but even worse, the sword to the soul. Mary has a special part to play in this too. And Simeon's prophecy isn't just to validate Jesus as the Messiah, yes, this is the one, but to prepare Mary for the part that she has to play through her life as well. God sees and knows and covers everything in his preparations. And Simeon and Anna are the voice of the temple. We've had the angels, we've had the women, we've had the shepherds, the outcasts, we've had the magi, the foreigners. Simeon and Anna, rather than any of the priests, are chosen to be the voice of Jerusalem, of the temple. Gabriel spoke ten months earlier to tell Mary she's going to have a baby. Elizabeth acknowledged that that baby was special and of God. But this, after Jesus' birth, is the first prophecy given about him. But they all come together to confirm that Jesus, even as that baby, is already the Messiah. Even as a baby, he is already the fulfillment of prophecy. Even as a baby, it is clear that his role is going to be redemption and salvation. He is the one. Amen.